Hi, I'm Shaylee Shibaxi Ritchie. And I'm her co-host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens. Spoiler alert, we are sisters. And best friends. We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved. We had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast. Then, during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share, and amplify the voices of everyone who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they're from, to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking. Hello, I am speaking listeners. Welcome to this episode of I am speaking with Shayla Shea and Kosha. Today in the speaker's chair is this phenomenal woman. Her name is Jana. She is Lebanese, moved to Dubai, met her husband in Dubai, spent a decade in Dubai working, grinding away, uh, you know, in the corporate life, being very successful, yet not really being happy. Her story is something that I think a lot of people will connect with and connect to because especially right now, people are really going through a lot of burnout and hearing Jana talk about her life, her history, and her journey to becoming a hypnotherapist, how she found hypnotherapy, what she went through herself in her personal experience, and why she turned to this career path from the corporate life that she was living before is, is really phenomenal. It's really inspirational. Um, you know, no one's telling anybody to drop their career and, you know, live a life in, in meditation or as a yogi or, you know, go live the bucolic life. But the way that she speaks about her own experience and what she had to do to tap into her own purpose and her own happiness and how that helped her own mental health and now what she's doing to help other people, you know, buttress their own mental health and move forward with more purpose is, is truly just a fantastic story. Um, Shayla, she's on vacation right now, which is why you're only getting me, Kosha, but I will say that, uh, and I mentioned it a couple of times, I am pretty much a skeptic and it was a fascinating conversation. And I just, I, we really, both Shayla, she and I really, really enjoyed this conversation and we hope you do too. So enjoy listening to Jana and our conversation. She is speaking.
Hello, my name is Jenna and I'm speaking. Hello, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me guys. Of course. So first thing I want to check with you on is where are you currently located? I am located in Ireland, Dublin, but I'm from Lebanon. <laughs> wow. And what is your journey that took you there? Ooh, oh, God, that's not an easy answer. <laughs> I lived for 10 years in Dubai before being here in, in Ireland. Uh, my husband and I moved here around a year and a half ago. And I, I would say we manifested it somehow being here. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you want to get to Ireland? Was this somewhere where you're like, oh, I, I would love to live in Ireland or was Not it just really. a set of circumstances? Okay. Uh -huh. We wanted to be in Europe. We wanted to leave Dubai, the Middle East in general, with an intention of settling somewhere different, kind of expanding our horizons, our experiences. Europe is attractive. Ireland was inviting a lot of specifically Arabic speaking people um, to work here in Ireland because there's a lot of companies whose they, their hubs are here in Ireland, but they cater to the Middle East. Ah. So from a business perspective, it made sense. Um, so we've arrived here somehow. <laughs> what was it about Dubai that made you not want to stay there? So my husband was born, raised in Dubai. He's Palestinian. He's not from Dubai, but he's lived most of his life in Dubai. We met in Dubai and we stayed together in Dubai for 10 years. And it was an amazing journey. I mean, Dubai has so many amazing things to offer, especially for people in the Middle East who want to build a certain foundation in terms of, you know, your career, financially, safety, security. It provides you with all of that. At the same time, what we lacked as a family, as mini family unit, is that sense of consistent uh, safety and security because Dubai is a very fast paced place where people tend to go there, work and leave. You don't get a permanent uh, residency. Uh, if you lose your job, you're out, basically. So there's always this kind of things that felt for us like, oh, God, are we just here for the job? What if we do lose our jobs? What happens to our families? What happens to our money? So there was a sense of instability. That was number one. And number two, um, we just wanted more grounding. And I guess, you know, although Dubai, there is the desert, but we wanted a different kind of nature, uh, more green, um, more the ability to travel and open up to new broadened experiences. So it was a bunch of these things that said, you know what, let's go for it. We're young and free. Let's do it. And <laughs> yeah, definitely somehow... going from the desert of Dubai to just like the green of Ireland is very, very opposite. Wow. Oh, yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. But not to say that, honestly, Dubai is such a blessing uh, for a lot of us who are especially in the Middle East. You know, I'm from Lebanon, my husband's Palestinian. So we both kind of were searching for safety, security and growth. And Dubai, oh, God, it gave us a lot of that. And I am a lot of the person who I am today is because of the amazing things Dubai offered. So I love Dubai as well. <laughs> wow. That's very cool. I've always wanted to visit Dubai. So now you've just like yes. encouraged me to do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's definitely an attractive place. You'll spend a lot of money. I can guarantee that. <laughs> <laughs> you have no option but to spend the money there. Oh <laughs> yeah. boy. Well, my son, my son is obsessed with the Burj Khalifa. 
Oh, yes. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Honestly, like just it's one of the attractions that's so touristy. But when I was in Dubai, I would visit it regularly because it gives you this power. Like it really shows the power, the human power, like our abilities to create amazing things. And it just has has an energy to it that I just always loved. So it is beautiful in many ways. (laughs) I will say we we travel in a fair amount and there are only a few but there are a few sites that are are they really stack up to the expectation like sometimes it's you're like with the eiffel tower it's kind of disappointing right because you're like you see all these beautiful pictures and you're like okay and there's so many people around and there's you know noise pollution and stuff like that but like the Taj Mahal for example you go and you're like oh no this really does at like it really does kind of what's the word like add up to the the expectation um and I've heard that about the um the Burj Khalifa too yeah, yeah. Yes, Dubai gives you that, the, the greatest, the biggest, the best, you know, it's all about that, you know, and you definitely get a sense of that. And having lived in Dubai, the downside of that is that it gets draining at some point you feel like, whoa, you always need to be in that big power, that big energy, that big movement, that uh, live wild, live big, basically. And that also led, uh, led us a lot into, you know, burnout, stress, anxiety. So th- there is a lot that comes with that. Um, and that's a tricky part in Dubai, you know, the, the finding that balance. Um, we're here in Ireland, you know, it's the total opposite. And it's been a big adjustment for us where it's all about easy, slow, no rush, you know, have a beer. You know? It's all about like, hey, everything's good, you know. So uh, it's just an amazing journey kind of seeing those two opposing energies in a way. Yeah, well, just uh, just to ground you in just how calm it is in Ireland. There's basically as many sheep in Ireland are there as there are people. I love that. I didn't know that. In the 2019 census, there were more sheep than people, but now it might be equal. I love that. Just to give you a sense of like, how many sheep are there in Dubai? How many sheep are there in Ireland? We had camels, we had camels. (laughs) Right, and what the entire, you know, how that like sheep are actually, I I wouldn't say that they're necessarily indicative, but if you have a whole bunch of pastures, it gives you a sense of what a country might be like or an area might be like versus like Tokyo versus a Japanese countryside or, you know, thinking about the big cities in India versus rural towns, which is, there's such a, just the pay, you're right the pace is completely different and yes i can imagine that even if you're not involved in that there's a bit like the the air is filled with that and you breathe it in and you start to feel it oh god yes uh, like we were just went to a vacation back to dubai because we have family there uh, not too long ago actually as soon as we landed in the airport the airport says a lot about the country and you could feel like, whoa, I've arrived to Dubai. You feel it. And it's so true. You, you can't escape it. Even if you're sitting at home, you know, it's there is it's a different kind of energy. And it's amazing how, how impactful your environment is, is on your body and on your mind. So, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So you were in Dubai for the longest time. And now you're in Ireland. Okay, we've established that. We've talked about sheep and people. Um, what, 
<laughs> and camels. What has been your professional trajectory? Did that start before you moved to Dubai? Was that, were you in Dubai and you're like, oh my God, this is exhausting. I feel burned out and this would be a, a interesting path to pursue or was, how did that all come together? Exactly that. So when I was in Dubai and, you know, a lot of people, when they think of Dubai, they don't realize that there's a huge spiritual community actually of people who are seeking some kind of spiritual self-development growth. And there's all kinds of um, modalities of experiencing spirituality, yoga, meditation, shamanic practices, you name it. Uh, because people do tend to experience a sense of who am I <laughs> while you're in Dubai, because you're so uh, stuck in that go, 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 make money, what's next, the biggest car, the, not the biggest car, the biggest house, the next car, the next trip, it's all about that, that there comes a point which I've experienced where I was like, whoa, what am I doing? Who am I? I'm not happy. Uh, is this it? Is this life? This doesn't feel good. You know, you're drinking a lot. You're smoking. You're partying. You're in that kind of um, cycle. And that, these are the cycles that make people stop. And that's what happened to me. It made me stop and say, okay, this doesn't feel good. I was literally not feeling good in my body. I didn't feel happy. I remember spending nights, you know, just staring at the wall, like at the ceiling in bed and thinking, why didn't anyone tell me that, you know, is this life? Do I have to do this for the rest of my life? You know, just for the sake of making money at the end of the month and then what? And, you know, my savior back in Dubai, it started with a simple yoga class, um, a simple yoga class, a simple meditation, then a simple um, workshop, then a breath work, then this then that. And that took me on a whole journey of uh, experiencing uh, my own spiritual growth. Um, and I was in, in corporate, corporate Dubai, working in marketing and advertising and all of that until the longest time. And somewhere along the way, I ventured to become, you know, a yoga teacher. And uh, one thing led to the other and the growth started to happen to a point where a pandemic hit, quit the job and uh, yeah, started my own business doing what I love, which is now, you know, coaching, hypnotherapy, yoga, all this kind of holistic um, wellness approaches. So it's been a journey. I can talk a lot about that. <laughs> well, absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right that most people do not think about spirituality when they think about Dubai. You know, Dubai falls in with this handful of cities globally that have a reputation for being a certain type of thing, right? So I feel like there's Dubai, New York City, LA, Tokyo, Tokyo Shanghai, uh, Mumbai, Shanghai, all of these cities, which is like they're they're big. They're opulence. Yes. There's a lot of money that gets thrown around a lot of poverty um, that people don't like to acknowledge um, and that the pace is in its own way. Go get it. Go get it done. Accomplish the whatever it is. Right. I lived in San Francisco for almost 20 years and uh, it has a different pace, but it tends to be much more like the Pacific Northwest where people are very outdoorsy and they like to go hiking and they like to go skiing. And there's a lot of that. Whereas LA feels every time I've gone to LA, it feels like people are just 
you can feel the desperation in the air. Everyone is so beautiful all the time. You never know who's the next big star or the next big director. And so everyone's almost like fake nice to everyone all the time because you don't know what, what a, a movie company executive looks like. I could be a movie company executive, right? Anyone can walk in and be the, the next big thing or the next person that you want to work for. But at the same time, I think what you're pointing out is that these communities that are so pressure packed also tend to be these, they tend to spring up spiritual communities as well. Because people do get burned out or they do start to wonder like, what the hell am I doing this for? Exactly, 100%. So that was, if I heard you correctly, that was part of your journey into this work as well, is that you were doing marketing and communications, and then you started to go, oh, what the heck is this about? So can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a normal, regular girl who, you know, was was brought up in a a very kind of open-minded modern family, but at the same time, very focused on success uh, and how it should look like in its perfect form, you know, following the, you graduate, A plus student, you get into the top, top best companies and you keep going until you reach those highest, highest um, kind of positions. And that was the trajectory that I, that I had followed and I was quite successful at, and, you know, this was meant to be it, but something within me was really unhappy. I did not experience severe depression or anxiety, but I've experienced this constant nagging, (laughs) this constant kind of like where my husband's like, can you stop nagging? Like the whole time I used to feel like I can't go to work tomorrow. I just can't do this anymore. I don't like this. It was this constant feeling of, I don't know what to do in my life, yet I'm so unhappy that this is who I am and what I'm doing with it. And I was so lost. The word that I've heard a lot, especially since the pandemic in, in terms of the workplace is like languishing. Do you feel like you were languishing, like kind of going through the motions, but you weren't happy and you didn't feel like you were moving anywhere? Exactly. Like it's a force. Like I'm forced to do this because there's no other option because that's how life is meant to be. And that's what they told me it should be like. That's what, that's who I should be. That's how I should show up as. And I should just keep going because we have to make money and we have to live a certain lifestyle. And, you know, that's how life is. Yeah. And, and like I said, you know, yoga was kind of my awakening moment for one simple reason. I really remember this one class um, where at the end of the class, we were doing a meditation and the instructor said something very simple. If you hear it now, but for someone who was so, you know, fast paced, uh, she said, you know, just close your eyes and you roll your eyes inwards and look inside and it touched something and it just helped me start to see that, you know, I, I need to tune in more. I need to go in words more and I need to, you know, trust, trust in myself more and, and find more answers um, in those spaces where, where our meditative spaces. And like after that, for the next seven years, I stayed in corporate. 
So I don't want to say, and that was the moment where I left everything, packed my bags and, you know, went to India and, you know, left everything behind. I did go to India, but I didn't leave everything behind. I went back and forth to my job and into India and into transitioning, into growing, into the awakening. And I actually started to enjoy the corporate life differently because I started to see, okay, it's not corporate. It's not the job. It was me. It was my reaction to it. It was the fact that I was using using uh, alcohol and smoking and partying as an escape. It was the fact that I was surrounding myself by the wrong people. But now that I was able to uplift my life, I started to move into this, wow, it's a nine to five job that's giving me amazing stability and growth and money. And money is allowing me to do that travels and the workshops and the courses and the certifications. So I started to show up differently. And uh, I went through a whole kind of growth uh, in a way where I started to see life differently. And it took me a long time before I actually changed my career because I don't like to say that, hey, you know, don't do nine to five, don't do corporate. It's no, you know, that's sometimes part of life and why not? But how I show up and um, how I perceive the job and uh, how I take care of myself when that changed, everything started to change. And then when the time was right, I changed my career. But it was really at a time where I felt I'm financially able, I have the support that I need, I'm confident, and now I can change my career. That was my my journey, at least. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think one thing we hear over and over again in almost every spiritual tradition is like, it's not the world that's a problem, it's your approach. Like 100%. you are unhappy, not because of the what's happening in the world, but because of how you react to what's happening in the world, right? So if you can change your outlook, change your mindset, even things that are objectively awful can be less suffering because you're not, because of how you approach it, right? Not to say that if something awful happens, you'll just be like, oh, it's fine. But there's grief and experiencing your grief or sadness or anger or whatever anxiety and then there's the prolonged suffering by how you approach it 100 percent, 100 percent. so here you are you're moving through i i guess our listeners cannot see, see your little hand like the little hand moving up, up and down to say you're moving through so you're <laughs> you're moving through your process your journey you start with being all corporate and being super stressed out and unhappy and then you find yoga and like okay this is great in the sense that engaging in that spiritual work the meditation and the movement and all of those things allowed you to then be happier with your career right and do other fun things that you wanted to do like the month like you said the money is good for being able to travel and gives me stability but also the travel and the yoga makes it easier for me to go to my job. Yes. So then tell me about, tell us about your career transition. So you've been thinking about this, I assume for a little bit, when did you finally make the leap over? Right. Thank you for that. To clarify, maybe one point is that it's not like I was going back to the job ecstatic. (laughs) It was just... (laughs) I did yoga and now I love this. This is it. You know, like, how did I miss this? Uh, No, it was just, you know, it was a job and it was okay and it was fine and I made the best out of it, but I still had that inner yearning that I felt, you know what, there's something within me that's creative, an expression of me that's not being expressed in this job. And I always felt that sense, the the element of creativity, whereas 
I'm not the Jana, I'm not me, I'm not fully me yet. And I knew it. And I knew it It was because it was a feeling from within. It's like something is poking me and telling me, hey, that's that's not enough. You know, you need to do more. There's there's something you need to express. And I always felt that that didn't go away. And I trusted that pandemic happened. Um, I quit the job and I knew we were transitioning and moving to Ireland, actually. We got stuck in Dubai for more than a year. But anyway, during that time, I quit the job. We got stuck at home and I started um, I started my coaching, um, my coaching certifications. I did a whole year of uh, holistic health coaching and I loved it because I was integrating already a lot of my yogic practices. Uh, Spirituality is a big one for me because the yoga that I practice is called Kundalini Yoga, and it's a very spiritual kind of uh, internal journeying kind of yoga. Um, So I used to integrate a lot of that. And the more I worked with clients, the more I started to feel that I loved working on health and wellness in general, but mindset was kind of my, the biggest thing that I, that I had a calling for because it was my own journey. It was my own journey of my mindset is what changed. My mind is what allowed me to do what I do. Uh, how I perceive things, meditation, uh, entering into those hypnotic trance-like journeys, uh, getting visions from beyond or whatever you want to call it. These are the journeys that gave me trust, confidence, signs, messages that guided me to where I was. And that took me into hypnotherapy. That took me into, I'm so curious about what's happening in the mind. What happened with me? How come from simple meditations and experiences like that, was I able to change my life, my feelings, my joy, my happiness, my abundance, my opportunities, everything changed. It just transformed just because I was meditating. And I got curious to understand that. And I went into hypnotherapy because hypnotherapy is all about hypnotic states of the mind that take you on these deep journeys towards transformation and now that's really my focus so yeah that's where I am what a great setup because you know you you've walked us through your your journey and now you're telling us hey this is what led me to to hypnotherapy now I would love it if you could define for our audience what hypnotherapy is. I know that probably everyone listening has only really one exposure, one image in their head, right? And I'm sure you can imagine it. It's the (laughs) pendulum moving back and forth and it's the eyes going spinny, right? You're getting very sleepy, that kind of very um, entertainment based hypnotherapy, but I don't know that anyone knows. I know that I don't know what it actually is in college or whatever. Like they had a, what do you call someone not hypnotherapy, but someone just who does hypnosis. Hypnotist. Yeah. Hypnotist come and like make people act like a chicken on stage and stuff (laughs) like that. So it, it very much is like in my mind, I know what hypnosis is supposed to be, But I have no idea what hypnotherapy, but then I've also heard, you know, oh, I did hypnotherapy. Like you hear media accounts of like, I stopped smoking or I stopped, um, like I've lost weight because I went to a hypnosis therapist or a hypnotist. So I have a very rudimentary understanding of what hypnosis even is. 
Right, right. Thank you for that amazing question. And I always say, you know, because people say, are you going to make me bark like a dog? Right. And I'll say, well, if that's what you want, yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want to do? You know, that's the question. Um, All right. So let me explain. Um, Every person to start with experiences um, hypnotic state every day on average two to three times. So hypnosis on its own is a natural uh, state of mind that you experience. I'll give an example. Do you know that state right there before you fall asleep at night, but you're not awake yet? You're not fully asleep. You know, maybe someone knocks on that door um, actually in reality and in your mind, you know, in your dream, someone is uh, banging something and you're like, is this dream or is this reality? I don't know if I dreamt this or was it real? That's a hypnotic state. I'll give another example of a hypnotic state. If you drive down that same road every day from work, back home, work, back home, work, back home, work, back home, there is a point where your mind just goes on autopilot. And then one day after years of going down that road, you miss that turn. And you think, how could I have missed that turn? Like, where was my mind? You're hypnotized, right? So that experience of trance, it's like when your mind fully lets go, it's on autopilot. It's just so relaxed and it lets go is the hypnotic state okay that's for you to understand that being in a hypnotic state is not something unnatural or weird or that is kind of uh uh, artificial it's a natural state people experience it like you said but we don't call it that right we say oh i zoned out exactly like a twilight I wasn't quite asleep yet. Exactly. Or your social media and, you know, a whole hour passes, you know, you're in a hypnotic state. Any kind of activity that you do when you're in flow, if you're an artist, if you like any form of dance, of painting, whatever, any kind of exercise or activity that you do in flow, it's also called the flow state where you feel like, whoa, how was I doing this for the past three hours past? You know, and you feel like, what the hell happened? Like, there's no time and space in those kind of... Uh, I have heard of flow state. Yeah. Exactly. So if you've done any kind of form of art specifically where you feel time doesn't exist, literally, that's what it is. Flow state is, for our listeners, flow state. So it was uh, coined by a psychologist called Mihai. That's the last name. I did a talk and I included work on his or included some points on his work about flow state where it's like, it's really about being so consumed by the activity and not thinking about, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. It's just you and the thing. Right. Um, and it's, it's where your, your ability is perfectly matched to the task. So it's not too hard and it's not too easy. So all of your focus and concentration is on doing whatever that thing is, but it's enjoyable. And it's like a perfect, it's just like at your, at your perfect activity point. hundred percent. I love that explanation. Exactly. And that state is a hypnotic state and it's a very Ah. healing state. It's a very healing state. Um, So how do we use it therapeutically? I'll explain briefly about the mind because I think it's an important kind of space to start from. That'd be great. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So when we're born, I want you to think of kind of a clean, clear canvas, just a white canvas. And we're born with literally a clean, clear mind, you know, open um, to take in information, right? And the only thing we're born with is this primitive animalistic mind, that fight or flight response. And actually, I'll give you an extra piece of information here. 
when we're born, we only have two things, two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. All other fears are, um, are learned fears. All other fears are learned across the years. So now what happens is as children, and we were talking a bit about uh, before, before we started, you know, as children from the ages of zero to eight specifically, the mind is like a clean canvas waiting to be painted, right? Waiting to create all of these programs and associations. And depending on our society, culture, parents, environment, schools, all of that, we start to create positive and negative associations. Some of these associations, I'll give an example, if it's positive, if you were brought up with a dog or with a pet, you, you tend to grow up to feel like dogs are friendly, pets are friendly, whereas someone who's brought up in a family that uh, has a lot of phobia and fear around animals and is always like, be careful, be careful, the, the dog's going to bite you, the cat's going to scratch you, be careful have negative association towards animals, right? Or with certain food, for instance. Certain people have a very negative association with certain food and very positive associations with other foods because of how we were brought up. Now imagine more serious things, more serious things like confidence levels, like how our parents, what they tell us about our abilities. I am enough, are you beautiful? Do they tell you that you can or that you can't? Do they tell you to be careful? Do they tell you to abide by the rules? What do they say is uh, right? What do they say is wrong? What is acceptable? what is wrong. From the age of zero to eight, we're registering all of this information and we're creating a story and identity for who we are. And that story really becomes, becomes how we live in the world, how we take in information, what we accept and what we don't, and how we present ourselves. And that's why when we grow up, we start to feel like, no, no, I'm not confident to do this. And it all goes back to my childhood. Oh, I'm scared of this. It goes back to my childhood. I'm not good enough. It goes back to that program that has been protected. So that mind that is creating all of these programs is called the subconscious mind. And that represents 88% of our mind. Imagine that 88% is your mind acting based on old subconscious beliefs that you mainly learned between the ages of zero to eight. That means you only have 12%, which is your conscious mind, your willpower, your reasoning, um, your, basic, your basic awareness, right? You saying, hey, now I'm confident I can do this. But then 88% is telling you, my parents told me that I need to have a nine to five job or else I'm not good enough. I'm going to quit those cigarettes. But then 88% is telling me, but remember how good it feels. Remember that first cigarette you ever had. It felt so relaxing. You belong. You know, your peers love you. You go back to that, right? So there's always this clash between the conscious and subconscious mind. And that's why willpower is sometimes very hard to push through because there's an 88% subconscious programs from all the associations in our life that we're not able to change. Now, where does hypnosis come into place, you ask me? <laughs> <laughs> when you are in a hypnotic state, that uh, protective layer that protects your programs and subconscious beliefs becomes relaxed. Now, your mind always wants to protect your story. Why? Because it's safe. It's comfortable. This is who I am. Even if it's not really a great story, if it's a story of I can't, your mind likes it because it means it's safe. This is what I know. This is what I've learned. Don't take it away from me. Your mind's going to protect it with all its might. That's a really interesting point because there's so much that we know now where it's like, but that's part of that person's identity, even exactly. if that is a harmful identity or a, one that's not founded in something, you know, we were just talking recently about, you know, the, the 
the anti-vax movement or the flat earth movement or something where it's like, this is so clearly false, right? Like this is so clearly false, but those movements have become part of these people's identities and it's so hard to let go of. Exactly, because the mind doesn't want you to let go of what you've learned. Why? Because if you do, it means you're stepping into the unknown and the mind does not like the unknown because the unknown means it's scary, it's risky, there's danger. And the mind wants to keep you safe. So it keeps you where you are based on what you've learned from your childhood. Now, in the hypnotic state, that protective layer is relaxed. Literally, that's what it is. That protective layer opens and you become suggestible to new ideas. You are more open to say, oh, fine. I agree that uh, cigarettes are not great for you. Or, oh, fine. I can see now more clearly that I am good enough. Yeah, it's true. Although my mother told me that I'm not when I was young, uh, I now see that I am good enough. Or whatever it is you want to learn, um, whatever it is you want to change. Or I now see that food is not the way for me to uh, to protect my emotions or for me to uh, heal my emotions. And now I need to work on something different. So you become more open to accept new ideas when you are in that trance hypnotic state where the mind is relaxed and it says I don't need to be as protective in that state I can let go and you're able to accept new ideas new patterns that are good for you that help you change those old programs that have been embedded and planted into your mind and create positive change so hypnotherapy is where the therapist guides you into a journey and gives you new suggestions that will serve your life that's it. <laughs> I know my sound. I don't know if it sounds complicated. Ask your questions. <laughs> I mean, it it does. It sounds like the practice of this, like as a professional, that it's not just like, <laughs> hey, let's lie down on my sofa and I'll give you some ideas, right? It's more complicated than that. Oh, yes. But I think from a from sort of understanding what the theory is, which is, you know, as a kid, you adopt certain beliefs, values, attitudes based on your family of origin and your community. And some of those are helpful and some of those are not so helpful for the person that you become as an adult. And hypnotherapy is about, you know, I'm assuming slowly, it's not going to happen over time, but generally replacing some of those um, beliefs, attitudes that cause an individual trouble in their life. Like they don't like where it leads them good or bad, with new stories, new ideas in the subconscious that's like, oh no, all right, I don't have to stick with that old story. I can do this, or I do understand this, um, so that they can make the changes in their life that they would like to see. A hundred percent. Okay. And a big part of it is changing the subconscious beliefs because consciously people know what they need to do. Do they know that I need more confidence? I know I need to. I know I need to quit the cigarettes. I know I need to exercise. I know I know I know. But they don't do what they need to do because the subconscious mind is limiting them. So in hypnotherapy, we work on aligning the subconscious with the conscious so that you have such a powerful mind to move forward. Basically, you know, this is why therapists the joke is always like, well, when do I get to start talking about my mother in therapy? Because all of my problems come from my parents, right? Like, well, this my parents told me to do that or whatever. Um, and you had mentioned like being, you know, from a, a Lebanese family and 
Um, we come from India. Our, our parents uh, came here from India. We were born here. But being born to immigrant parents, you know, there's so much that can be tracked back. Like, uh, I do this thing because this is how my parents kind of trained me to do these things. So the, the theory is definitely, I can understand that. I guess like, you know, my question then is, how do you even tap into those, that hypnotic state and those subconscious thoughts? How, like, how do you train, how does a hypnotherapist become trained to do that? Okay, well, you go through a lot of schooling. <laughs> to get trained how to do that but really what it is is the whole of hypnotherapy is the power of the words that the therapist used so number one is you take time to understand um, how this person becomes suggestible to new ideas so everyone learns differently how you learn is different from how your sister learns different from how your friend learns so we take time in every session to understand as a person how do you learn how do you become accepted, more acceptable, accepted and open to new ideas that I will throw at you? What will you accept? What will you reject? And by me understanding how you learn, I can then use certain words and a way of communication that allows you to accept the new suggestions that I'm going to give to you. Now, how I take you into hypnosis is actually much easier than most people think. It's really just moving the body into a very relaxed state and moving um, your focus and attention onto my words and the words are guiding you into a journey. That is really all. Now, of course, there are certain techniques that allow you to enter into a state of hypnosis. There are techniques, you know, whether you're looking at a certain point, whether you are focusing your eyes upwards or to a certain point inside the room uh, or on a pendulum, you know, there are some traditional techniques and there are some more, you know, modern techniques. Uh, but there are all ways to kind of allow your body to relax and allow your mind to, again, in the state of flow, focus on this one thing that's going to bring all your attention to the present moment. And then you allow your eyes to close and you listen to the voice of the therapist who guides you into a journey. I'll explain it in a very simple way. If you've ever meditated, it feels very much like a meditation, except that in hypnotherapy, it's more guided to serve your goals, as in it's, it's tailored to who you are as a person, to words that you will accept, to suggestions that you want to accept as part of your life. And it's uh, longer and deeper, as in, you know, it's typically 20 to 40 minutes long, and you go deep, as in you fully let go and fully relax, whereas a meditation, you could do it for three to 10 minutes, and you might not experience, you might not even let go, you might still be thinking. Um, whereas you just let go. It's, it's kind of like a meditation. That's really what it is, except that it's therapeutic as in personalized therapy. That makes that, sense. No, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm thinking about it as like the process is, you know, the work is of the hypnotherapist is to get somebody to relax enough to drop the gates to drop the boundaries, to drop the protect the protection around their beliefs, attitudes, all this stuff that keeps them in this spot and do an exchange. This can go in and this can go out. I, I can't, I'm just thinking like, 
how hard would that be? Because you're saying like the person has to be completely relaxed. And I'm like, I'm not sure I've ever been that relaxed in my life. Maybe when I was like one year old. Right. So I'm just thinking about it. From <laughs> even my when I'm sleeping, even <laughs> when I'm sleeping, I'm tense. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> they, my, whoever tried to hypnotherapy, hypnotize me would basically be like, wow, you're a real tough case. <laughs> I think you guys need to go through an experience. <laughs> like, that's the yeah. only way that I'm going to be able to. Now I'm going to have to, like, I'm going to have to seek it out and see what it's like. You do need to, Shulshi. Yeah. Uh, for, for the podcast. Yes. Yeah, podcast, you need to. Right. No, so, it, so a couple things. I heard you say that you, there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of talking. There, it sounds like there's a lot of, like, quote, traditional therapy that starts first. So... For our listeners out there, don't think that you're, it sounds like, don't think you're going to go to Jenna or anybody and then come out after 45 minutes, like not smoking. No. Right. Like it's a process. It yeah. takes some time. It takes some trust, communication, that kind of thing. Um, so, and then the second thing I was going to ask is, are there people who, cause like, again, we've been to a hypnosis show, right? Like the, the sideshows and stuff like that, that people are barking like a dog or made to look like a chicken. Not everyone is hypnotizable. Is that correct? Everyone is hypnotizable. It's just that we all experience hypnosis differently. The, how we experience it, how we enter into hypnosis, again, like I said, how you are suggestible to ideas is different than your friend. So it's a different process of how we enter into hypnosis. And then during hypnosis, I could be seeing colors. Someone else could be seeing nothing and just feeling things in their body. Some people are more connected to their emotions while others are connected to physical sensations. So there's no one way to experience hypnosis, but we are all hypnotizable. It's just that we experience it differently, the depth is different, the process is different, that's all. And there's no right or wrong, and it all works therapeutically to support the person in their journey. Yeah. And that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense too, just even from the perspective of, you know, uh, discipline with one child will work better than discipline with another child, the same technique, because it's not only a matter of nurture, but there's also nature that goes into that too. Some people are naturally more risk averse. Some people are naturally more, you know, not risk averse at all. They're just like, yeah, whatever, let's do this. Right. Some people are, are more energetic. Some people are a little bit more reserved. Like all of that has to play into it. Oh yes. I think if you do, and Kosha, maybe what you're saying about like, some people are not hypnotizable is that just like therapy, the same thing will not work for et, like everybody, right? It has to be very uniquely tailored to the individual based on who they are and their personality and what they've been through. And like, basically it has to be once again, a tailored approach, not just like, okay, well, I want to do this because this is what I do for everyone. And also no. I, I would, the or your client has to be willing. Like, I think that's part yes. of, I don't, yes. I do not want to go up there and be made a fool of and bark like a dog or, or whatever. So, so I'm not willing to succumb to that type of hypnosis. Is that part of it? Like the person has to, you, you cannot force hypnosis on somebody. No, definitely not. 
it's like you said, you know, it's a therapeutic journey. It's a self-development journey. And the person needs to say, I want this because I know how amazing and powerful it is. And hypnotherapy is a very powerful tool for change in behavior specifically. And, you know, the entertainment kind of hypnotherapy gives a lot of false ideas of what hypnotherapy is actually not because no one can actually have full control over your mind. No one can force you in a therapeutic environment to do anything that you don't want. You're never fully asleep at any point you want to open your eyes and walk out you know you can you're never unconscious it's just that you're in a very relaxed amazing state that you don't want to leave it because it's just such a beautiful state that you want to be in but there's a lot of myths about what hypnotherapy is that you know unfortunately it's not uh, shown correctly in, in form of entertainment but at the same time it brings awareness for people to ask what is hypnotherapy and the therapeutic hypnotherapy is a very different experience than what you see in shows which is not really their reality a lot of it is staged a lot of it is um, also uses certain people in the audience who are extremely hypnotizable. They're able to identify them and use them. Uh, that's why every person that is chosen to participate in an entertainment hypnotherapy is chosen for a reason. It's it's not um, it, it's not that that's how it happens to anyone. No, it's really not the truth. It's a therapy, it's for self-development, for growth. The client is fully in control, fully aware. Actually, you're even more conscious. You know, like you said, in a state of flow, you're so focused and concentrated that your senses are awakened during a hypnotherapy session. And it's just a beautiful experience because it's an experience of your own subconscious mind. And it's it's a journey. It's it's life-changing. You know, it changed my life. So I'm here to defend it. <laughs> and I don't think you have to defend it, right? I think the, po the point is that almost everybody has this idea of what it is because they have seen it in a in an entertainment context. And and it and nobody actually knows what it is. Right, right. Or but I'm sure some people know what it is, but you know, for the most, for the most part, if someone said hypnotherapy, you would think of, you know, getting up on stage, which first of all, let's just be clear, given what you've said, getting up on stage is the one of the least relaxing places you could be, right? Standing up, also not particularly great. Um, to to do any hypnotherapy because you want to be really relaxed. Um and time limited. This whole idea of like, okay, we got, I'm going to do this in three minutes and I'm going to snap my fingers and it's over. Um, none of those things are, you can't, it's not, it's just entertainment purposes. That's not the story exactly. at all. It's no, a it's very a different thing. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. And, you know, to, to clarify one thing, yes, it is a very stressful situation when you are, you know, on stage uh, thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen to me? which makes you want to escape more easily, which makes it easier for you to go into hypnosis because I'm so stressed, I'm so anxious that please just let me escape this. So you enter into this deep sense of relaxation actually easy, easily, which is interesting. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, that's counterintuitive. Exactly. So actually this anxious state is used to take someone into hypnosis more easily you build up the anxiety to build up a sense of escapism so that they can say i want to relax and get the hell out of here mentally and their mm. mind opens said i let go so there's again all of these things that that can be played on for entertainment purposes that therapeutically you would use the same concept but in just a very 
um, positive, sacred, in a way, space for growth and self-development. And, you know, if someone on stage would accept that they can bark like a dog because they're hypnotized, imagine if they can accept that they don't need cigarettes for the rest of their life. Imagine if they can accept that they're good enough, they're confident, and they can achieve anything they their mind to imagine that they accept that they are fully loved and they just gonna walk on the street and attract the the love of their life just like that and imagine they could believe that how life-changing that would be so yes believe in in hypnotherapy for entertainment but imagine what it can do if you actually used it for self-development and growth that would wow. be that's tremendous you know <laughs> That's, that's a powerful really statement. cool yeah yeah, that's yeah a powerful absolutely. Statement. i appreciate i appreciate that i have to say like uh, in full disclosure, I am a skeptic in general, not, not because of hypnotherapy only. Um, but I'm a, I'm just a general skeptic and, um, in a healthy way, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I am also very open to learning about these kinds of things. And when it's based in some kind of like clinical or science, even if it's, not understood science, right? We're trying to get, we, we now understand more things about the mind. Um, I think, yeah, I, I agree with Shailsha. You, you don't have to defend anything. That's not why you're here. It's really, I, we don't want you to feel that way. It's just, no, I'm kidding. Okay, good. It truly is like, it's such an unknown part. And we're talking about mental health and so much about mental health is the shackles we put on ourselves, right? Like my body dysmorphia is something I have severely. And I'm like, if I could just spend half of the time, like 50% less time thinking about, oh, I'm so fat, or I don't look good in this or something like, I probably could like come up with some inventions or something like that. It takes up so much of my time to think about my body, fat shaming myself, you know, you know, eating and, and food and calories. So I think that the power of the mind is definitely there. I mean, it it's, it's incredible. It, or if you think about all of the stories and I know like if my daughter was caught under a car, I'd be able to lift that car because it's not about you're, yeah. oh my God, I, can't, I in that moment, you're not like, oh, my muscles aren't strong enough or I'm not strong enough to lift this car. You're just like, I have to get my kid out from under the car and you flip into this state that's not conscious. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm tracking with, with, like you said, the theory of it all. There's a lot of talk now, recently, uh, I would say maybe what, last five, seven years of like guided meditation, um, guided trips, right? Like psilocybins, ah. things like that, that are incredibly therapeutic. And which is why- By trips, you mean taking some kind of substance yeah. that's going to create a, a psychological Correct. effect, or, as opposed to like, we're going to, we're going to go across the United States. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Trip. I mean, like a, like a psychedelic <laughs> trip. Right. Yes. Right, okay. right, right, right. Right. I mean, a guided trip would be like, hiring a tour guide and being yeah, like, let's right. get in the car. Yeah. I see the confusion now. <laughs> That's where a uh, second, I was like, <laughs> okay. You're like guided trips have been around for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our dad, that's the only way we traveled for a long time. It's like, we're going on this tour and we're going on this tour. And we're going on this <laughs> right. Tour. Can you talk about like, it sounds like to focus on your words, you're speaking for 40 minutes. You're talking the whole time to the client who is silent? Like, I'm, I'm just trying to 
wrap my mind around what one session looks like. Yeah. And how is that different than like a psychedelic trip or a guided right. meditation? Right. Interesting. So a typical hypnotherapy session is 90 minutes long. You'll spend the first half talk therapy, you know, just kind of what are your goals? What do you want to work on? Taking the suggestions of what they want, the change that they want to create, taking the words that they would accept that they want to invite into their life again, and then moving into a hypnosis, which is kind of, you can say it's like a guided meditation if that just makes it easier for people to explain, which is guiding the person and the client in a deep relaxation, uh, going through certain, you know, eye movements to kind of guide them into a hypnotic state and then moving them into a journey. Okay. Which helps them work on their process. And yes, that should take, could take anything from 20 minutes up to 40 minutes. So yes, you are talking the whole time. You're guiding them into that journey. Um, that answers your first question. Yes. You're talking the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a very lovely voice. So I can imagine that that would get me comfortable. I want to point out here the difference between what you're saying and the difference between sort of standard, typical medita guided meditation even, is that there's a very, um, there's a clear goal at the end of this guided, you know, guided meditation with sort of life suggestions in it. So it's this real combination as opposed guided meditation is like, okay, now think about a stream. Like, right. you know, it's, it's helping you meditate by giving you specific images or words to help you focus your mind on the meditation. But this is a whole nother step. Yes. So like, like, if you remember when I started my journey, I told you that it all started with meditation and, you know, the kind of meditation was my personal journey. And uh, I now understand that I was uh, hypnotized so many times while I was in meditations, because I used to do meditations that would last two hours long and two and a half hours and five hours and three days of nonstop meditations. And I would go on a hypnotic state and in that hypnotic state, I would experience different things, although they weren't guided towards goals that I had set for myself. It was just releasing things from the subconscious mind that was not serving me and inviting positive emotions, which is amazing. So the difference is in a hypnoth hypnotherapy setting, it's very specific. What do you want to work on? I want to feel more confident. Then in the hypnotic state, I would suggest you now feel more confident. That when you wake up from this, you will feel like you're rocking your life, like you're on the top of the world. So it's very specific to what the goal of the client. And it's very specific in using words that that person would accept. So if you wouldn't accept the words, I'm on top of the world because you think that's impossible, I wouldn't use that. I would use what you would accept as a suggestion from our conversation before the hypnotic journey. So the difference is that meditation and hypnotherapy or hypnosis, they work similarly in how the mind is entering into a trance state, but you know what you're working on, the depth of it, and how specific it is to you is really the main difference. If that's that now clarifies it more, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. And to come back to your question with, you know, psychedelics or using any sort of, um, um, whether it's now, uh, nowadays it's ayahuasca is the biggest kind of uh, trend. <laughs> I haven't tried it myself, so I can't share a personal experience. I've tried different kinds of psychedelics um, and I've had my own journeys with it. And I could say it's, it's amazing. And all of these are tools from earth, from nature that could take us on, yes, on awakening journeys uh, of the spirits, you know, it's uh, awakening journeys of that inner light, a spirit, a journey that we're missing out on, something that we want to seek that's within us, that's waiting to express itself, uh, healing traumas in the body or in the mind, or again, spiritually, even from past lives. Again, every person experiences it differently. And I think there's a lot of healing and growth and uh, people come back with amazing stories from these journeys. The only thing that I personally, I'm someone who's very much of a committed yogi as in I have a daily practice for the past seven plus years where I wake up every day to do my meditation and I have a whole routine and I strongly believe in the power of commitment to self through day-to-day practices versus saying I haven't meditated in my life and now I'm going uh, on this retreat where I'm going to have this massive experience and then I'm going to go back home and get drunk next weekend. That's where I feel there's a bit of disconnection that some of these journeys are becoming too commercial, that people are missing out on the power of you just committing to showing up for yourself every day through breathing meditating, taking care of your health and well-being, doing therapy, coaching, whatever you need consistently. And then maybe when it calls you, go on this amazing trip to the Amazon or Peru and meet a shaman and try something. Why not if it calls you, but when your system is ready to handle it? Because some of these experiences can take you to places where you don't want to go because they are powerful, I can tell you that. And if you're not ready, physically, mentally, spiritually, you might not come out from those experiences fully awakened. You might come out confused and lost even more than before. So I believe in the power of working on yourself and getting ready for for those awakening moments, which I also believe that you can experience through only the presence and the power of presence and the power of breath and the power of, um, yeah, just just being with yourself every day. So that's powerful. Yeah. Wow. And that makes a lot of sense, right? I think that's like saying, okay, I'm ready to be, I mean, to see you some it's like saying, oh, I'm ready to go to the ashram and be there for a year and be, you know, do a silent retreat for a year, live a year in silence when you haven't done any preparation at all. And then you're going to, as soon as you're done with that, you're like, well, now I'm back to my normal life. Exactly. Um, exactly. And there's at, at best, it's useless. And at worst, it can really shift something in you in a way that's going to be problematic rather than exactly. add exactly. to your add to your positive journey rather than your negative journey because 100 yeah 100 so what kind of things can people i mean what are the limits of hypnotherapy let's ask that it sounds like hypnotherapy can be used for helping somebody achieve sort of any change that they want to make in their life whether it's lose weight stop smoking stop drinking exercise more meditate more like you could even <laughs> any sort of like i want to do this or i want to stop doing this and i need that like the subconscious 
I need to put some new thoughts in my subconscious about what I can and cannot do, right? What are the limits though? So as a hypnotherapist, I'm not a therapist as in I don't work on past trauma. I don't go back into your childhood to heal uh, wounds from the past. This is not the role of the hypnotherapist. The role of the hypnotherapist is taking you into behavior change in the future. So rather than thinking of let's go into the past and heal the, the past, though we could tap into that a bit, it's more about everything that we do is to focus on creating positive change in the future. So anything that's related to self-development, um, changing behavior, changing patterns, we can work on in hypnotherapy, but a hypnotherapist is not a psychologist, is not a psychoanalyst, is not a therapist in, in the traditional sense. Um, uh, so we don't work on uh, mental health disorders, on uh, depression. Uh, we don't work on severe trauma unless um, someone is working with a therapist, with a psychologist who refers them to a hypnotherapist and says, I think the hypnotherapist can help you with the symptoms that you feel uh, in depression, can help you relieve stress, anxiety, can help you feel more calm and relaxed while they're working on their traumatic experience. So we could work hand in hand with healthcare professionals um, in that sense. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because just because you have therapist in your name doesn't mean that you do what people think of as exactly. traditional therapy. No. Um, so, Nor should so people use hypnotherapy as a replacement for medication, for going to your psychiatrist, et cetera. Exactly. Whenever you feel, okay, there's a mental health disorder, you know, there needs to be an intervention of, you know, a, a psychotherapist or someone and healthcare, or maybe even a doctor, then together is always where the, the biggest change can really happen is when different therapies come together. We're working on the mind and on positive change for the future, where someone is helping them deal with their past and let go of those traumas from the past. And yeah, so it's, it's body, mind, spirit work kind of coming together. That's awesome. Again, I am a skeptic, but I have learned so much from you in not even like an hour and 15 minutes. I have learned so much and everything, you know, what's really interesting is everything you've said, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Right. Like I believe in that. I believe that, I mean, I believe that the mind is incredibly powerful, that and, and then, you know, I believe flow state, I, I definitely believe people can be hypnotized. Um, I think the way you described it really demystified uh, a lot of what I even thought about hypnosis. Like, I think what we think about is like crystals and woo woo and, yeah. you know, shaking sticks and stuff. And, but it's really based in what our brain's are doing consciously and then what they need to do to kind of unlock some of the powers moving forward. Yeah. You got it. That's it. There we go. <laughs> That's it. Nice. Do, Very do nice. people have to, so like with the pandemic, do you have to be present? Like it's like, you can't do it on a, on a virtual. Oh platform. yes, you can. Really? Yes, you can. A hundred percent. We're totally doing a hypnotherapy session with you. Totally. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you, there's no option. I'm giving you a hypnotherapy session. Like, <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be interesting. That will, no, no, we no, should, no. Well, no, no. In a good way. Like in a good I, way. Yeah. Like we'll record it. Uh, and then we can put it up as sort of a companion to this. And be I like, think we should. 
I love that. I know. <laughs> the best way to understand it is to experience it because, oh, you know, sure. just kind of going for it, experience it. You know, nothing bad could come out from this. You know, the like the least is you're going to walk out of it feeling calm and relaxed and who wouldn't want that? So <laughs> do people come out of hypnotherapy remembering what they went through? Because like the guy who acted like a chicken had to see a video to quote, have him believe that it happened. You know, like how much of that is staged? How much do you remember coming out of those things? So again, that's, that's really different, but yes, you could wake up not remembering a few things, but there's no uh, one way. So again, it really depends on how hypnotized were you and how you've experienced hypnosis very different from one person to the other and yes it's possible to experience amnesia and that is uh, healthy in a way because it shows that you are in a very deep relaxed state and that's a very healing state so I wouldn't be afraid of that either Uh, but so often you are conscious you do remember but there are sometimes those moments where you go so deep that you you wake up um, with a bit of amnesia and that that is possible well is there anything else that we should ask you about oh god this this is well within reason right i think i mean what's hard for us is that we we're such newbies on this we don't really I mean, neither one of what we were talking about it beforehand. I was like, um, I don't even know. I don't know anything about the field. Um, so we've covered what it is, what it can do, how it works. Um, you know, what, what else would you want our listeners to know about how you work, what you do, um, what it can do for you or what it can't do for you? Um, you know, I think what would be really helpful because we asked this to um, our therapist, our sort of more traditional psychosocial emotional therapist how could you tell a good hypnotherapist from someone who's not like what are the hallmarks of a good hypnotherapist it's an interesting question honestly I mean I'm always careful with with where you're finding the hypnotherapist um I like to look into their education background personally, just because nowadays there's a lot of, uh, you know, you could do a one week certification and become anything. (laughs) You can become a sound healer and an energy worker and a Reiki practitioner and you name it. And, uh, and I don't think that's bad necessarily, but, you know, with holistic um, health and wellness practices, um, you know, it's become easy to get certified and it's important for people who are looking is to just look into the background of the therapist especially if you're doing a bit deeper kind of work and just check where they got their certification from check out the website of that academy uh, see if it feels right for you try out one session and just feel the energy Um, again you know there's no way you can walk out of a therapy session harmed so there's no way that a hypnotherapist, even if they're not trained enough, that they're going to harm you. Uh, it's just that you might not go onto a as much deep experience as you're meant to uh, if you were with a trained, um, a well-educated hypnotherapist. It's just the extent of the therapy and the experience itself could not be might not be deep enough. That's the only difference that some hypnotherapists are not really hypnotizing people. They're just, you know, again, it's like a guided meditation where you close your eyes and imagine good things. Whereas a trained hypnotherapist will make sure they're 
taking you through a right process to make sure you are entering into that state that helps the healing and growth to happen. Uh, but I wouldn't worry that there's no harm that can come out of this. Just, you know, do your own. I don't want to put names out there and promote certain <laughs> certain um, academies or um, education uh, educational entities, but you know you could do your research and and find out um, good places that recommend amazing hypnotherapists. They're out there. <laughs> that's all I can say. <laughs> and that's that's really a, that's really important for people to know that one, if what you want is a specific type of experience or a specific type of therapy, then paying attention to the credentials and the experience and the background of the person is really, really important. However, you know, the process of relaxing and having someone guide you through a relaxation slash, you know, guided meditation, that's never going to be bad. So, so really what, what people might lose out on is the deeply therapeutic effect. Um, and if that's what you want, then you might be wasting money, you know, going with someone who's not going to get you there. Um, but it is also really good to know, like, because when, you know, when we talk to sort of a more traditional therapist, they, you know, they did, they did mention that like, look, if you go to someone who's not trained well or not, you know, they don't go through the right schooling, they're not trained well, they don't have an experience, they can actually cause real harm to the person um, by, by going too fast or going too deep or, you know, suggesting the wrong things or bringing things up in the wrong way. And this is a very different, a, a very different mindset. So again, just because it says therapist doesn't mean that the modality is there it's a very different approach on both sides. And so it's good to know you can't really go wrong. I would say it's rare. It's really rare that, you know, someone would cause harm just by, you know, taking someone into a beautiful journey. It's really rare that someone would cause harm, definitely not intentionally. And the client would sense that, hey, this is too fast. I'm not comfortable. This doesn't feel right. So my invitation is for whoever's searching is to also trust in your own power to know what feels good and what doesn't. And when something doesn't feel good, you just say, hey, this doesn't feel good. We're going too fast. I don't want to tap into this. I'm not ready yet. And to just know that you are in the driver's seat, the therapist is never in the driver's seat, you are. And that's, you know, put, put the power back to the client. The therapist never has an intention to harm. And I think really it's very rare occasions where a therapist would go into an area they're not supposed to or dig deeper into something that's not in their area of expertise that again just um uh, some so it's like a mutual kind of um kind of work that that needs to be done so we usually have two questions that we ask everyone at the end of our our conversations um and you know the second one that koshin's going to ask but uh the first the first the second to last question i get to ask which is what advice would you have for someone who's considering becoming a hypnotherapist or considering going to a hypnotherapist? Oh, I love that. Considering becoming a hypnotherapist, go for it. <laughs> All right. Um, That's great. Yeah, advice. That easy. No, no, I'm kidding. I mean, um, considering becoming a hypnotherapist, I personally, the only thing that the advice is there's so many certifications out there, so many, you know, with all kinds of energy healing, energy work, mindset work, so many certifications out there. 
search for the ones that, that give you mentorship, search for the ones that make sure that you have a consistent database of people to reach out to a community where it's not just two weekends, I got what I needed and I'm out. This needs a proper mentorship program, someone that's supporting you, proper practice, ongoing journey, and that it's a journey. It never ends. I'm still studying. I'll forever be studying, probably. You know, it's a journey that never ends. Each door opens a new door and just, you know, keep learning and growing and just go, definitely go for it because it's a tremendous personal self-development journey. Uh, but find the right school and find the right mentors, which are as important as the school. Um, and for someone who's searching for hypnotherapy, you know, like I said, you know, trust your intuition, trust your inner guidance to know who you're meant to work with. If you started working for someone, trust what feels good, trust what doesn't. And, you know, again, allow yourself to enjoy the journey because a lot of um, a lot of the therapy happens when when the client allows themselves to to grow and says, I'm ready and I'm committed and I let go of any blockages and, and tension and I'm just going to go all in. So go all in, allow yourself to gain an experience, enjoy that experience and trust that only good can come out of it. And then it should be so. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. That's great. That's really great advice. Um, okay. So our, you learned a new word today. Femelect. <laughs> it's, it's so fun. Every, like so funny. everybody has learned this word on this podcast. Like it's, it's not a very well-known word. We do hear the word dialect a lot. Everybody knows that word. It's more regional and femelect is just a, a more funneled in more drilled down version of what dialect is. Um, so do you, you know, I know your husband, your husband is Palestinian, you're Lebanese, you guys have moved. I'm sure that there is some familex that has, that has been established in your family. Can you give us a couple examples? It's so funny. I must admit it was really hard <laughs> kind of getting something, but I did get something. Um, so, okay. So we have like very traditional Arabic um, names as in like names that are very old, like people's names, like mm. Latifa and Sumaya and Abbas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and basically we literally kind of use those words to just to, to refer to certain personalities of people. So instead of referring to us to certain type of people would say, Oh my God, this person's such a abyss. <laughs> oh, wow. Is that like, do you know, because in the United States right now, the, the name Karen is like a huge, yeah, like it's like a basic person who, how would you describe a Karen, Shulshay? Uh, usually a white woman of middle age, uh, around 40, 50, who is offended by anyone, by being inconvenienced in any way. Right. Like the, the woman who's like asking for the manager all the time, you know, it's yeah. like, oh God, that, okay, Karen, calm down. Is it like that where you, but you're using like old Arabic names? It's like that, but it's a bit more subtle okay. in the way that we would, it's just more like a feeling of who they are. And in the moment we'll look at each other and say, they're such a best, like, it's, it's just like, you know, or she's such a Sumaya. Like, <laughs> there aren't any, like, I can't give you a set of character traits, but it's more like, okay, like, like we look at each other and we're like, oh, like Sumaya. You know yeah. I mean? It's that a vibe. Totally, that's it's totally like, family act. Yeah. It's a is general, that a family act? I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah. Is it? Right. Because look, if you would say that to even maybe your cousin or your parents, they would be like, I don't. What are you talking about? That's not their name, exactly. right? Her name is not Samaya. 
Right. Exactly. But it's it's really <laughs> and then you're like now you're being a Somaya. Yeah. Exactly. And the funny thing is we have two cats and one is called Latifa and one is called Somaya and they were. <laughs> We totally, totally named them like that. Like, we're like, she's such a Sumaya. She's such a Latifa. Like, so since then, we have this kind of, we refer to people with random names that are really traditional Arabic, like my great-great-grandmother. Her name is Sumaya, basically. <laughs> and it just refers to a lot of their personality. And very much it refers to Arabic personalities who have certain traditional traits or traditional uh way of talking or way of living or they do something that's so like Arabic you know it's like (laughs) such a best like oh my god like you know like they they I don't know eat with their hands while they're like something like it's like such a best like you know such a (laughs) so it refers a lot to our culture as well it's like like almost like referring to someone like a grandmother without calling them a grandmother like the name <laughs> the names are so old that they're like they're so traditional and they're so conservative and they're like a grandma right instead yes. of yes 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 so yeah it's really funny thinking about this if I meet someone named Abeas or Samaya I'm gonna start laughing so you're probably yeah you're most probably not gonna meet a Somaya anytime <laughs> if you do like please just call I'll me t- and <laughs> such an old name that's such an old name um but yeah I think it was funny it was funny kind of just before the session just reflected with my husband on that we're like that's it that's our family act that is totally your family yes I want to take a second to before we close to plug also your podcast which I will be on pretty yes we are recording tomorrow. tomorrow so it is called tune in with Jenna right Right. And it's really about transformational experiences and tuning into your, why don't you explain it instead of (laughs) your podcast? Yeah, that's a good idea, Kosha. (laughs) Let's let the person who actually is doing the podcast explain Explain what they're doing. what it is. Probably, oh my God, this podcast has been changing. Even the name might change now. And um, it might be called Stories on Purpose. And it's really all about people coming on the show to share their stories that have allowed them to live on purpose, to live their truth, which is very similar to the story I told you at the beginning of this podcast, in terms of how I got to kind of connect to who I am, my purpose in this life, whether it's career or, you know, just how, how we live and people sharing their inspirational stories that led them to their own awakening, whatever that is uh, in different forms. And it's been an amazing journey over the past month. I've been interviewing so many people and you just learn how many how much similarities we all have in, in, in that journey of growth and it's just very inspiring so I look forward to having you Kosha fantastic I'm looking forward to it also and we'll make sure we plug it um, here and we'll cross collaborate you have been you I'm going to tell you this is going to be one of the easiest edits I will ever have to do you are a brilliant speaker oh, you are you. so articulate you're so passionate and clear and uh i was i was very drawn to this conversation thank you for coming on oh thank you thank you you for your amazing questions you know it it has really allowed me to flow and just uh, share what i love and i think probably there's so much more to share because i feel like oh my god did i share everything about hypnotherapy like (laughs) that's always that's always the case yeah and that's and that's what we wanted right was just for you to be present and and engaged and you absolutely were you were a joy thank you you too guys 
Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And don't, Thank don't, you. don't be a Somaya. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a Somaya. <laughs> Have Not a great day. That's okay. awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you guys. You too. Bye-bye.